Well, if you have your Bibles, open them uh, to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, and we'll be in verses 8 to 11 together. As you make your way there in your Bibles, we're continuing to take a look at the seven churches of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, We're taking a look at seven messages that Jesus gives himself to seven churches. Uh, Last time we were together, we were introduced to the first church, the church at Ephesus. Today, we're going to be talking about the message given to the church at Smyrna. But it's always helpful to be reminded uh, a few guiding principles. The first is that these churches were local and literal churches. Just like our church in Springfield, Twin Rivers, Uh, is a local literal church in the 21st century. You had these seven churches who were in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey today, and they were literal local churches. The second thing, as we take a look at these churches and read more about them, is that the message given to each one were relevant to all the rest. What an interesting thing as the church of Ephesus to get to read their message that we talked about last time, but then to keep reading to the six other churches. Or Smyrna, as we're going to take a look at it today, take a look at Revelation chapter 1 and then begin to read the message given to the church at Ephesus and hear some commendations, some concerns and corrections and then think to themselves, I wonder what Jesus is going to tell us. I wonder what commendations he's going to give to us. I wonder what corrections he'll give. Have we left our first love like Ephesus? But thirdly, Uh, The reminder is that as we take a look at each of these messages that are unique to each of the churches, their message is relevant to all churches and all generations, including our own. And so the question we're going to consider throughout these seven weeks, as we've already begun last time, is what can we learn from the message given to these seven churches and today the church at Smyrna? The author is the Apostle John. He's writing from the island of Patmos, as we talked about last time. And the reason he's there is because he's being persecuted. Uh, Emperor Domitian is most likely silencing him. And what an ironic thing, though, right? That he's there to be silenced, but that's the very place he receives this revelation from the Lord Jesus. In chapter 1, it's an amazing scene. We didn't go into much detail last time, but you can always uh, read it uh, after our study today. It's always fascinating to see. I mean, he's, it's on the Lord's Day in chapter 1, and, and he can hear a voice along with the trumpet, and the voice declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's in the Spirit, and a trumpet is coming alongside of it. He says, I am the first and the last. What you have seen, write down and send to the seven churches. Can you imagine? And then he turns around, and there he sees seven lampstands, seven golden lampstands. And walking among those seven golden lampstands is someone who looks like the Son of Man, Jesus. And in his right hand, he's holding these seven stars in his right hand. And then in chapter 1, verse 20, we learn what they represent. The seven stars are these seven angels, the pastors of these seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And Jesus is intimately involved in each one. He's examining them, and he's going to give a report to each one. And we talked about Ephesus last time, as we said. The message given to Ephesus was what? A commendation. They were told, they're a dynamic church. Jesus said, I know your work. I know your good deeds. I I know your labor as you work to the point of exhaustion. I know your patience and your perseverance. Jesus tells them, I know you're a dynamic church. I know you're a doctrinally sound church. You're morally pure. But while they're doctrinally sound and dynamic, effective, they're also a declining church. And Jesus says, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. They've maintained all of the priorities they need to be maintaining except for the most important one, their love and their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells them, remember, remember from where you have fallen, repent and go back, repeat the first things that you did, return to the joy of your salvation that you first enjoyed when you first came to faith, to sharing your faith, go back to it. And now we get to hear the message to Smyrna. Now, if Ephesus was the loveless church, having left their first love, Smyrna is the suffering church. Smyrna is the persecuted church. And as we get to read, what is the message given to it from Jesus? And if it's the persecuted church, we're going to consider how Jesus comforts 
this persecuted church in Smyrna. So let's go ahead and read it. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we'll be reading to verse 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And as we take time to just walk through our text together, what comforting words does Jesus give to the church at Smyrna? If you think about it, you have, we, we prayed this, this evening for um, Bhutan and just the persecution they're experiencing, their translation has stopped. And as you think about that, if we had an opportunity to actually chat with some of those translators, some of those missionaries, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? What comfort would you be able to give them? They, they feel the pressures of persecution. How might you encourage them? What a wonderful thing that Jesus provides this church in Smyrna, some comforting words. The persecuted church, some comforting words that we can even pray over those who are, are experiencing the pressures of persecution all around the world. First, he comforts them by means of reminding them of who he is. Now, in each of the churches, Jesus has already revealed himself in chapter 1, but each of the small details is taken from chapter 1 and is, a, is, is repeated to each of the churches, and just a couple titles from Jesus is, is reminded to each one, and for them, we get to see that in verse 8. But before we talk about what Jesus reminds them about, let's consider the recipients of the letter before we talk about the sender. And the text begins and it says to the church or to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, last time we were together, we talked about what is this angel? Like, are there guardian angels for each church? Like, are there guardian angels that we have personally? And some people may say, well, we're talking about actual angelic hosts. But um, if you take a look at the Greek for angel is angelos, which simply means a messenger. And throughout the New Testament, you see it used for earthly messengers but you also see it used for heavenly messengers. So we're not talking about heavenly messengers who declare the word of God. We're talking about earthly messengers. And in the context of the local church, who might be the one who declares the word of the God to them? The pastor. So the lead elder, the lead pastor of these churches are the ones who are receiving the message. And as they receive the message, they declare the message to their church. And so this is the angel at the church at Smyrna. Now, last time we talked about Ephesus, today we get to talk about the city of Smyrna a bit. Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus. If you find it on a map, you'll find, uh, well, 35 miles north of Ephesus, but you'll also learn a little bit more about the, the city. If you, if you take a look at the history, they were a large city. It was maybe half a million people at the time. It was a large seaport town, and so a lot of trade took place there. The second largest seaport town um, in all of Asia Minor. Their main export was myrrh, and that's what Smyrna means. It's where myrrh, that's what it means. So it gets its, its name from myrrh, and if you were going to extract the aroma of myrrh, what you got to do is you got to crush it. And then the aroma comes out. It's used for embalming. It's used for perfume. You see that throughout the New Testament. But how fitting for the church at Smyrna. How fitting that you have a people who are named myrrh, who are being crushed, who are being persecuted, who are literally having the life sucked out of them. And as they are being crushed by persecution, a sweet aroma begins to rise to heaven as God finds it pleasing. As this church and other persecuted churches remain faithful to God and the sweet aroma is lifted up to Christ in heaven. They're going through some hard times, but they continue to be steadfast. They are uncompromising. They are faithful. And we're going to read more about the, 
commendations in a moment. But we also know about the city that the reason there was so much persecution is because there's a large population of, of pagan worship. So you had the Gentiles who, who were engaged in cult worship, and so they persecuted Christians because they didn't worship their idols or their gods or their emperor. But you also had in Smyrna a very large Jewish population. Now, when Christianity first came forth in the first century, a lot of times the Christians were still worshiping in the synagogue, but there comes a point where they're pushed out. And what we're going to see today is that this synagogue of Jews were persecuting the Christians to the point that Jesus refers to them as a synagogue of Satan. In other words, this is a gathering of Jews who are influenced not by the Lord God, but are influenced by Satan himself persecuting the church, persecuting Jesus Christ. And so they're facing that along with the Gentile persecution. So it's just double persecution. I mean, it's just a lot going on. Now, for the Jews, uh, they, well, the Romans, uh, they persecuted folks for not worshiping the emperor, but for the Jews, because it was an older religion, Romans respected the Jewish religion, but because Christianity was a fairly new religion during this time, it was less respected, and so hence you have more persecution, and so Jews were treated better than Christians, but that's what we get the, the picture here, and, and as we're going to talk about this church in a moment, we're going to see that it's interesting to note that out of these seven churches, Smyrna along with one other church, Philadelphia, are the only two churches that are, receive commendations and no corrections, no concerns. Can you imagine Smyrna reading about Ephesus and, wow, they're commended for this and this and this, and then they've left their first love, and then Smyrna's thinking to themselves, what have we done? How have we messed up? And all Jesus has to tell them are words to comfort them, to encourage them, to remind them that they have been faithful and to continue to press forward because Jesus is with them. And so we begin with the recipient to the angel of the church of Smyrna and we're reminded that Christ, just like the other churches, has a firm grip on the pastor of the church, each of these churches, and is intimately involved in the church of Smyrna. How does Jesus describe himself? Who is the sender and this is the source of encouragement to them, the persecuted church around the world, but also an encouragement to us if ever we go through a season of ministry that gets tough and difficult. Ever been a part of a church that's gone through a difficult season, whatever the cause may be? Well, this is an encouragement. This is a reminder of who Jesus is and who we need to be reminded is the head of his church, even in those hard times, even in times of persecution. He goes on, these things set, or verse excuse me, eight, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Who is Jesus? He's the eternal one. He's the everlasting one. He reminds this church of who he is and he reminds us who he is as a source of comfort to us and to them and the persecuted church around the world. If he is the first and the last, what does that mean? It means he's eternal. Jesus has no beginning, he has no end, he is eternal. If he is eternal, that tells us something about who he is, he is God. If you're familiar with the titles given to the one true God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, you'll notice that he is referred to as the first and the last. For Jesus, even to call himself the first and the last would be blasphemy if he wasn't God. And yet we get to see in Isaiah 44, 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, this is God, Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is Jesus? He's God. And because he's God, you can find comfort in his name. It doesn't matter if there's persecution from the government, persecution from the, this, this synagogue of Satan, regardless of what you're facing, the pressures that you experience, the difficulties in a church that you're going through, Jesus is, is the one true God. Isaiah 48, 12, listen to me, O Jacob, in Israel, my, my called, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. So not only is he eternal, Jesus being eternal um, remind us that he's God, but Jesus being eternal reminds us that he's sovereign over the nations. And this is a great encouragement for them and us because of this. If he is the first and the last, that means if, if he's the first, what he's saying, before Smyrna ever came into existence, 
Jesus says, I am, I was. Before Asia Minor ever came into existence, before the Roman Empire ever came to power, before the Emperor Domitian was ever placed on the throne, Jesus was, he is, and he is to come. And this is also a reminder, if he's the first, he's also the last. If you take a look at modern-day Smyrna, they're called Ismar, they're about four million people today. But if you go over, there's the second largest city, or second or third largest city in Turkey, But what you will learn if Jesus is the last as well, Ismar one day will be no more, but Jesus will be. One day Turkey will be no more. Europe will be no more. The nations will be no more. Jesus is the first and the last. It doesn't matter what these nations do to these Christians, putting the pressure of persecution upon them, exiling a man onto the island of Patmos. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And yet we at times get a little bit flustered or frustrated when we watch the news and consider the things going on in our country and going on in the world. We get a little bit upset when we hear about election season getting closer and some of the chaos going on and we take a look at our elected officials and, and, and you have one administration coming in or going out or staying in and, and we're reminded regardless of who's the next president of the United States, regardless of how many years the United States of America has left, Jesus is the first and the last. He was, he is, he will be forevermore. We have a reason to be comforted even when we take a look at the chaos going on in the world around us he is sovereign over the nations that is a great encouragement when you're a congregation that's become smaller simply because of the pressures you're experiencing what a great thing to know we're on his side and if we're on his side we're on the winning side. So Jesus, he reminds me, he's the eternal one. He is the first and the last. He's the everlasting one. He, he is the one who died and is the one who rose again. You know what that means? Not only is Jesus living, he's the giver of life. Listen, in Matthew, it talks about how, how they can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. <laughs> you better fear the one, who, not who can kill the body, but who can destroy the soul. And we're reminded, if Jesus is the one who died and rose again, we have no one to fear. Even if they should kill us for our faith, we know that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. As the living one, he's the giver of life. And as the living one, we're also reminded, if he died and rose again, we're reminded of his nature. That Jesus is speaking of his deity and his full humanity through the incarnation. Let me read to you some texts that remind us of who Jesus is. John 1, 1 through 3, verse 14 as well. In the beginning was the word, we're talking about Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus had no beginning. The incarnation was not the beginning of Christ. He is eternal. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're talking about Christ who is fully man and fully God. Romans 1, 3 through 4 says, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, a wonderful reminder of the deity and humanity of Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Who is Christ? Christ is the eternal one. He is the everlasting one. He's the one who died and rose again, defeating sin, death, and Satan. And we have nothing to fear, not even death itself. Why? Because he's the everlasting one. He is the eternal one. How much more if we should go through seasons of difficulty in any ministry, in any church, if you are being faithful to the core teachings of God's word and continuing to teach and preach God's word, regardless of size, you can be reminded that Jesus commends a church like that. 
And that's an encouragement to us. And so how does Jesus comfort the the persecuted church, the church at Smyrna? By reminding them of who he is, the eternal one, the everlasting one, the first and the last, the one who died and who lives forevermore. If I could give us just a couple ways, takeaways for us, they would be this. First, trust God as the eternal one and everlasting one to comfort his church in times of need. If ever our church should be in a time of need and being reminded of who he is to turn to him and continue to trust him. Not to become fearful, not to become uncertain, but to continue to trust in the Lord. I'm reminded of Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 that tells us, seeing then that we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heaven. Through, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So trust God, the eternal one, the everlasting one. If I could open up for discussion, it would be this. If you've ever been a part of a church that is gone through a difficult season of ministry, and if you've been a part of a church, you would probably say yes. It might be a church struggling to survive. It might be a church without a pastor. It might be a church who's being persecuted or is being discriminated against. If you've ever been a part of a church that has gone through a difficult season of ministry, how has the reminder of who Christ is been a source of encouragement? How does that encourage you in those times of when ministry gets difficult, when it's hard, going through a tough season. Yeah, just a reminder, if you're on Christ's side, you're on the winning team, that's an encouragement to keep going, keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just so good. You know he knows, and that's a great comfort. And he's so involved in the local church. Sometimes we think, oh, it's the bride, the invisible church, but text just tells us how intimately involved he is with our church, with Twin Rivers and all local churches. Anything else? What, what else about Christ? Just a reminder about Christ is encouraging to you in difficult seasons of ministry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard sovereignty of God, and he's taking care of us, and, he, and he's in charge of all of the minor details that gets us through. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Just going back to his divine attribute, sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Vicky is saying, he promises, we, in this world you will experience tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. What an encouragement to know we will face hardship, we will face difficulty, we will see the gates of hell try to prevail against the kingdom of God, but in the end, Christ overcomes. He's building his church. That is just a a wonderful encouragement. So regardless of the highs and lows of ministry, we're reminded that Christ is in control. Um, uh, So first, trust God as the eternal one and the everlasting one to comfort his church in times of need. Secondly, 
pray for the persecuted church around the world. And, and we always want, what do we pray for? Who do we pray for? Well, number one, pray that they would be reminded. Reminded, as Steve already mentioned, know that he knows, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, but be reminded that he is the eternal one. He is the everlasting one. He sits on the throne. He was, he is, and he is to come. It doesn't matter what stands against the church. Christ will overcome in the world. We will face tribulation, but he has overcome the world. What a blessing, what a reminder of that. If I could give you just some statistics about persecution around the world um, from Open Door Ministries. Last year, 2022, more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith. More than 2,100 churches were attacked or closed. In 2022, more than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith, and almost 15,000 became refugees. Uh, One in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa, and two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. And you know, when you take a look at the stats and you consider what, are, what is the most difficult nations to go about ministry, I wanted to uh, play a quick video for us uh, to share where is it hardest to be a Christian and to share the gospel as we pray for the persecuted church. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators? Worship in secret? Sacrifice your safety? Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. And these are the top 10 countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number 10, Sudan. Unrest in Sudan has increased following a military coup. Violence and pressure against Christians have worsened. At number nine, Afghanistan. Following the Taliban takeover, those Christians who have not fled the country have been forced deep underground. If discovered, they face death. Iran is at number eight. Iranian house churches are seen as a threat by the Islamist regime. Church members who are caught are given long prison sentences. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistan's infamous blasphemy laws are often used to target believers. Christian women and girls are vulnerable to kidnap and forced marriage. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed in Nigeria than in all the other countries of the world combined. And the violence is getting worse. Number five, Libya. In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. At number four is Eritrea. Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living, powerful, defiant. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Where Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. 
and where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Every day around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them? As we watch that video, at least it, it adds some perspective. It tells us the top 10 churches where it's most where persecution is at the highest rates. you got North Korea at number one. I mean, one in seven, isn't that crazy? One in seven Christians in the world are being persecuted. One in five in Africa, one in three in Asia. I mean, it's incredible statistics, and yet we enjoy the freedoms we have here, and yet Christ cares so much for the persecuted church. We see that so clearly as we get to read about the church at Smyrna. And so if I could open up for discussion one last time in light of these, this first verse is, is this, how can we pray practically for the persecuted churches? You get to see uh, the nations where persecution is at the highest rates and um, how can we pray specifically for the church? Yeah, Elena. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So praying for boldness, praying for the Spirit's protection and God's protection of, of the church. Yeah. Anything else as you watch that video? Just things you, you want to be praying for or you hear this text. Jerry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're praying for food, you're praying for um yeah, safety. You got refugees fleeing for their lives and yeah, so many different things that we can be praying for. And it's helpful just to be mindful of those things to say, hey, we can pray specifically for the persecuted church. You could Take a nation that we talked about today and pray for them for a month or pray for them each evening. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about during our time with our kids at night, hey, how about we pray for Somalia? How about we pray for Christians in North Korea? How about we pray for Bhutan as we prayed tonight? And so just getting people involved and being reminded of, of how we can be praying for the persecuted church. And so uh, Christ, he, he, he encourages them, comforts them, uh, this persecuted church, first by reminding them of who he is, the eternal one, the everlasting one. Secondly, by reminding them of what he knows, reminding them of what he knows. Stephen mentioned it, that we would know that he knows. That's a great comfort to us, that he sees us in those times of hardship and difficulty, and he sees the persecuted church around the world. And so we get to see what he knows. It says in verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of, of Satan. Jesus says, I know. Well, Jesus is saying, I know you personally. Even when you don't feel it, I know you personally and I know what you're going through. I know your hardships and your difficulties. I know the pressures that you're facing from the government. I know those of you who have lost your jobs or if you have a business, the restrictions that have been placed upon them. Jesus says, I know. I see you. I, I see the, the hearts. I see the folks who are displaced because they chose their faith over their business or over their job. Jesus says, I know. I see you. I know. And what a wonderful thing to know that he knows. He says, I know, I know first, I know your, your work. 
He told that to Ephesus, right? I know your good deeds. What a blessing to hear the fact that Jesus knows that they are continuing to do the work of ministry even when they're experiencing intense persecution. Even though some are being arrested, others are losing their lives and more persecution is coming and yet they continue to remain faithful to the gospel of Christ. And it becomes so real when Jesus says, if anyone desires to come follow after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. And it becomes real to say, am I willing to leave everything I know? Am I I willing to leave my job and all that I have in order to follow after Jesus Christ? And you've got folks who are faithful. They have not left their first love. They are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the Lord Jesus Christ more than they love their lives. And we sometimes pray, or sometimes on the other side, the persecuted church may pray, Lord, let us be like them. Let us be free to practice our faith. Can you imagine how effective that we could be? And then on this side, we say, Lord, no. Let us be like them. Let us be completely dependent and recognize our utter brokenness apart from Christ and our need to serve him and be faithful. Let us deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after him. What would happen if persecution broke out in Springfield, Oregon? What would our church look like this coming Sunday? How many folks would be present in this place knowing they're risking going to church to pray and to worship God and they might be arrested on their way home? How does that change and expose whether or not we truly love Jesus or we don't. He says, I know your work, and you're working under intense pressure, unless you, but you, you continue on. I know your works. I know your tribulation. Tribulation there in the Greek is thlipsis. It speaks of pressure. And the word here literally means to have pressure applied to the body until the blood comes out. Um, this is what they're saying about this church. They experience so much pressure that literally the life is being squeezed out of them. This is government persecution as they come against them and they slander them and they take their homes and they kick them. I mean, this is the intense persecution that we're talking about here. That's the term thlipsis here when it speaks of tribulation. And then it says, Poverty. And so if we're talking about pressures that they feel, poverty they're experiencing. Why do you experience poverty? Well, as I already said, if they learn you're a Christian, get out. We don't want you working for us. If you've got a trade guild who worships a particular God and you've got a Christian who's not coming to worship these false gods, you're going to hinder in their minds the effectiveness of the business. And so you better get out. And so there is discrimination there now. And the church in the U.S., sometimes we think, well, are we at that point yet? Well, probably not. I mean, maybe we lose some privileges, but we're not being kicked out. Maybe there's some form of discrimination when it comes to hiring Christians or people think twice, okay, they're a, a born-again Christian. They're, they're conservative in their faith. They are fundamental in regards of what they believe about what the Word of God says about life, about marriage, about family. And so you may experience to a certain extent, but these folks are, are being driven from their jobs, you got a business, all these restrictions are placed on it. If you continue to work, um, we're going to put, you know, we're going to charge you $10,000 a day. You're not going to last very long. And so you've got all of this, this poverty and persecution. Listen, folks, persecution breaks out in Springfield tomorrow. And, and listen, not only do the folks roll out, but the money stops coming in. How do we, how do we keep our building? You know, the air conditioning flowing, Right. You know, how do we continue to use the, 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 the facilities if, if, if we're completely in a place of poverty and yet they're still working and yet they're still faithful, but they're still equipping the saints for the work of ministry, even under intense persecution and poverty and God keeps moving forward. And, and persecution directly, it says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Ooh, that's a scary thing to hear from Christ concerning this particular synagogue. They're not true Jews. Jesus is saying they're not true spiritual Jews. 
They may be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're not true spiritual Jews. Why? Because they do not, they do not follow after the things of God. They stand opposed to the things of God. You remember Paul. You know, he, he was zealous. He was passionate about the Jew. He was so passionate about Judaism, he was willing to kill anybody who was a threat to him, including the Christians. And that's what these folks are about. They are persecuting Christians, thinking they are on God's side, and the reality is they are on Satan's side. They are a gathering influenced by Satan, a synagogue of Satan. What a thing to be called. And yet they're causing the church so much trouble, and Jesus reminds them, know that I know. Know that I know the hardship and the persecution and the difficulty you are going through. I've got you. This is difficult for us because sometimes we think, well, why don't they just name it and claim it? Lord, release us from the persecution we're, we're facing. But sometimes in a text like this, we see it's the will of God. Ten more days, we see. Ten more days is just a little more time. Not long, a little bit more time. And then this will come to an end. Why? Lord, how could you allow something like this to happen? God's got his purpose. He's glorifying himself. His church is going forth. Even when we don't understand, even though we don't see it, he's going to accomplish his purpose. And we can trust him. He says, I know that I know the, the problems that are being faced by the synagogue of Satan. In verse 10, um, or verse 9, we're just there. Those who say they are Jews and are not because they are synagogue of Satan. So he just basically says, I know, know that I know. So he encourages them first by telling them who he is, encourages them by reminding them um, that he knows. He knows all the hardships they are going through, the, the difficulties they are, are facing. If I could just give us a few takeaways here. Uh, in light of the text, I just want to begin by opening it up but for discussion and ask a can you think of practical ways that we can support the persecuted church around the world besides prayer? We just talked about how we can pray specifically for the persecuted church. What other things can we do to support the persecuted church other than prayer? So financially, and so provide the means. When we're blessed, we have the ability to work. We have the freedom to do so, and uh, there are Christians on the other side of the world who don't have those freedoms, can't work, and we can, uh, we can provide. Come alongside fellow ministries. Did I hear something over here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, financial. So, yeah. Yeah. So, financial support. Anything else? What else can we do besides pray and financial support? Charlie? Yeah. Are you volunteering, Charlie? No. <laughs> We need Bible translators, yeah. We need folks to go out and uh, um, translate the gospel into, into people's languages all around the world, yeah. Anything else? What other things we can do, yeah. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it's just working with the right organizations and the right people who can get you to a safe place and when it's time to return and continue your ministry and God's timing, you, you get back out there. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Any other ways we can support the persecuted church? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, send them out. Send them out. Certainly. I was going to save this question for later, but I thought I'd ask it now based on that statement. Now, what advice might you give a family member, parent, who's worried about a child going into world missions where persecution is prevalent? Son, daughter, you can go anywhere you want, but don't go to North Korea. Come on. <laughs> don't go to Africa. I mean, these places are difficult. How do you wrestle with that? Your child says, hey, I called, I'm called into missions. And, yeah. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah, they're just on loan to us. We have the opportunity to raise them up and as God sends them out and it's his will, we, we pray for them and God protect them whether they're here or, or elsewhere. Anything else? That's hard. Anyone have your kids go into uh, missions in some place and just be faced with that? Yeah. Anything else you would, you would say? How would you convince yourself this is, this is God's will? <laughs> this is all right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just being reminded, God works, uh, especially through times of persecution. Back books of, book of Acts, you know? Um, the gospel literally goes to the ends of the earth, not because the church at Jerusalem's like, hey, maybe we should start sharing the gospel everywhere. Persecution literally breaks out, and they're forced to go to the ends of the earth. Jerry's talking about China. I've heard things about Cuba and just these underground churches who are faithful to the cause of Christ, and Christ blesses them. He says, I know your work. I know your tribulation. I, I know the, the pressures you're facing, and God blesses that. What an what a amazing thing to be reminded of. Yeah, and our family can be a part of it. Folks in our church can be sent out to the places that God's called them to be. That's difficult, though. It's hard to let go. <laughs> you got your kids, you're blessed to raise them up, and then, and then it, it's, it's just, God, how do you want, want them to be on mission for you? But you can be on mission wherever. We should be on mission wherever, but the place to start is right here in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our circles of influence. And so um, those are just some practical ways we can um, help out the persecuted church or think of ways. Uh, second question, do you know of anyone who has been discriminated against or or persecuted for their faith, or how might Christians be targeted or discriminated against in the U.S.? Elena had mentioned, you know, you got held at gunpoint when you're in one country, and so you've experienced it. Um, how about in the U.S.? Have you experienced any discrimination? Has, has there been anything like that that you faced, or that you've heard of, or people that you've talked with? Yeah. 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 Jensen was mentioning just starting up a Bible study in one of the schools and facing challenges with the school system trying to push back. Yeah. Yeah, Elena. Yeah. <laughs> Make them think uh, they came up with the question. That's good, Elena. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, that's good news, I guess. To a certain extent, you haven't been faced with some of the challenges we've been faced. Uh, at the same time, it's uh, a reminder to use our to not, to not uh, um, well, take advantage of our freedoms. Like use the freedoms we have to minister the gospel, to send out support where we need, to, need it to go. I found this, George Yancey in his book Compromising Scholarship did a survey among academics who explicitly stated that they would discriminate against a job candidate who is a conservative Protestant. And so in academia, if, you are, if they find out you're a Christian, 
um, academics or professors, they say, I'm, least, I'm less likely to hire this person or to bring them on um, uh, within our work just because they're, they're Christians. And so there is more of a rise in that. And as you take a look at our culture and the, the, the place we're moving, more of a post-Christian nation, you're going to see more of that. You're going to face more challenges along the way. Yeah. Hunt, you wanna you wanna share a little bit? Yeah. So Mirde had to stand before, she was working on a, a PhD in clinical psychology and they brought her before a whole board of folks and she had to answer questions about simply being a Christian, you know, basic Christian beliefs. And they basically told her, hey, you can uh, get your PhD, finish all your work, but we'll decide whether or not you graduate and you get your, uh, your degree or not. And so, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, this is the, the, the challenges we face in the world that we live in. Is, there, is it possible to prepare for the persecution that will come in the United States in the next 10, 20 years. In this world, we will face persecution. That's what we just talked about. But, you know, Jesus has overcome the world. Is it possible to prepare? What can we do now? How can we be ready? Something happens at work tomorrow. How can you be ready to respond as God would call you to? Yeah. yeah. Sandy's saying, get the word of God in your heart. So you're ready. You're not just reacting, you're responding. You got the truth of God's word. Marianne, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's quite simple. Just re- remain faithful to the Lord. Continue to love him and be devoted to him and pursue him daily. So when hardships come, you're ready because he's right there with you. He's enabling and empowering you. Yeah, Harold. Yeah, so having a soldier's mentality that we're in the armies of God, we're ambassadors of Christ, and what a privilege and opportunity to serve, pushing back the kingdom of darkness, pushing forward the kingdom of light, and uh, that's how we serve him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just being reminded he's always with you. 
in everything we go through. I mean, we already quoted Hebrews 4.14. He's experienced all the hardships, anything we've, we face, he's already faced. Um, just to bring it into Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, he's experienced the worst kind of persecution. I mean, he's literally had his life squeezed out of him, his blood shed, his body broken. In Isaiah 53, 3, uh, he is despised and rejected by men. Man, we're like Jesus when we get to suffer. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are most like Christ in those moments when we get to suffer alongside of Christ. That's hard. But God gives us the power to do it as we remain faithful and devoted to him. And so Jesus encourages this church, comforts this church by reminding them of who he is, the everlasting God, the eternal God, by reminding them he knows. What a comfort to know that he knows. He knows all the struggles, all the hardships, all the difficulties, those moments where you feel, I don't know if I can keep going on, and he knows And then lastly, we get to see he comforts them with the promise of what the future holds. The promise of what the future holds. As we uh, continue through verse 10, it says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Oh, so the suffering's not done. That's hard to hear. Uh, Jesus, I thought this was going to be an encouraging word, a comforting word. He didn't give them any corrections or share any concerns that he had, but he, he did say, fear not. This is the counsel of the Lord. He says, persecution is going to come, and this is how you can prepare or continue to remain faithful. Fear not. You have no reason to fear anyone who may stand up against you, who may take your job from you, who may persecute you. It says, do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Some of you are going to be arrested. You're going to be hauled away and put in, you're going to be separated from your family. Um, we're talking about prisons in the first century, the Roman prisons, so you don't have all of the benefits you have in the U.S. today, you know? If you need a meal, you better have somebody bring it to you. And so Jesus is saying, prepare for some suffering. It's, it's going to be a, a short, short time, 10 days, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. So, so it's a reminder, listen, there will be tribulation. There, there will be hardship, but, but fear not. Why? Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We, we just mentioned, hide the word of God in our hearts so that we're ready. That would be a, a good one I would want to be reminded of. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 said, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. You know what the psalmist is saying? Even if the the earth gives way, I mean, that's some scary stuff. You don't have a reason to fear because God is holding it together. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Jesus says, fear not. Fear not what the government can do to you. Fear not what your boss in the workplace can do to you. Remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Goes on to say, um, just do not, not only do not fear, but be faithful. And what he says is, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. What does he promise them? If you remain faithful, even unto death, you will receive an eternal crown, eternal life. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Whew, this is, this is heavy. If you really think about this, he's, he's telling them, tribulation is coming, some of you are going to be arrested Fear not, but also remain faithful even if they should take your life. I don't know how I, I can even do that in my own mindset. But with his power, with his Holy Spirit that indwells you, 
He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And how can you pray for the persecuted church? Put, them in your, put, put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. Folks are being arrested. Folks are being separated from their families, refugees. People have to flee in order to save their lives. I mean, right now, put yourself in their shoes. Lord, allow them not to fear. Allow them to remain faithful to you and, and allow them to be faithful even unto death, knowing that they will receive the crown of life and the worst suffering in this world doesn't compare to the eternal hope of glory that they will experience in the life to come. And then verse 11, listen up. So fear not, be faithful, and listen up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to the churches. We've all, all got ears. We're not just talking about physical ears. We're talking about the ability to hear God and respond in obedience to him. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Revelation 20:15 says, "And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." Praise be to God, we'll be saved from the lake eternal lake of fire, that we will spend eternity with God and his people forever and ever. What are the benefits of persecution if any? 1 Peter 5.10 says, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Oh, that's hard to hear again. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There may be a temptation to say, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to risk my life. I'm not going to risk my job. But the question is, do, do you love anything more than Jesus, even the money going in your bank account? That's hard when you're in that situation. <laughs> And in your job, you know, it's like my business that I've worked so hard. Well, God ultimately has, has helped you get where you are with your business. And all these restrictions are placed on me. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to put my trust in money? Put your trust in Jesus. Remain faithful to the end. Um, Vicky had mentioned, in this world we will suffer. Let me read some text to you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, Matthew 10.22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 16.18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, but it certainly doesn't say it won't try. And so if I could give us a few takeaways, the first is this, thank God for the religious freedom we enjoy. We come to church on Sunday. We don't risk being arrested or thrown in prison. Praise God for that. I don't know about you. Nothing's going to keep me from church on a Sunday morning because I have the freedom to do that. When you get that taken away, we had a taste of that during COVID. I mean, you really say, when I have an opportunity to go back, I'll be back, you know. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to give him the praise due his name. And so thank God for the religious freedom we enjoy, knowing that suffering is the norm, not the exception. Suffering is the norm, not the exception according to Jesus. It's the norm, not the exception according to Paul. In this world, you will suffer persecution. What an interesting time we live in, in history, in the United States of America, that we enjoy the freedoms to worship as we do. Let's take advantage of our freedoms and remain faithful. Remain prayerful for the persecuted church around the world who needs our prayers right now. Secondly, stay up to date on the persecuted church. There are different ministries out there. You've got the Voice of the Martyrs. You've got um, Open Door Ministries that uh, we had played a video with. Um, you've got nations around the world. Take a look at those 10 nations as we just played them today, and I'm going to start praying for them. And then thirdly, and lastly, consider going into local or global missions. It doesn't matter what age or stage you may be at, uh, we're all called. And this is a reminder right off the bat is, is every single one of us have been called to missions. Jesus said, go and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a part of a missions organization to be a missionary. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and have received Christ into your life, you are a missionary. Um, Above our doors, it should say, entering the mission field as you leave the church today. You are entering the mission field as you go home and you see your neighbors all around you. You're entering the mission field if, if uh, you're uh, going to the workplace and you've got people around you. You're, you're a missionary if you've got family members who don't know Jesus. You have an opportunity to reach the lost for Christ. May you not fear but be faithful to the call that God has given to you. There is a circle of influence that you and I have been called to be faithful to pursue and to pray for and to share the good news of Jesus with. And as you remain faithful here, who knows what God will do as he is faithful to you and continues to make his name known to the ends of the earth. Can we pray? Father, we're grateful this evening to be able to read your word in being a church in America what we can do is we can pray for the persecuted church. And so, Father, we, we, we got to see those, nat- those ten nations where persecution is most prevalent. And, Lord, we pray for Christians around the world who are being persecuted right now. In the country of North Korea, all the way to Asia and Africa. And, and Lord... Uh, perhaps even closer by than we think. Lord, we do pray for the persecuted church that they would know that you are the eternal one, that you are the everlasting one, that they would know that you know and that you're faithful, Lord, that you would keep them from, from, from turning to the left or turning to the right, but they would not fear that they would be faithful to the end, looking forward to the crown of life that they will receive. Father, we're told in Scripture that suffering is is not the exception for believers, it's the norm. And so, Father, we're grateful for the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. May we be faithful to worship you, to invite people to church, to make your name known as you remind us to be on mission with those in our circles of influence. Father, we're grateful tonight to be reminded you're the eternal one, you're the everlasting one. May that be a source of encouragement to us as we head out today. We we give you all thanks, glory and honor for our time together and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.